authority and efficiency. Then the very next sentence is the statement of values. And it says, rats will hate this job posting. I don't think rats are reading the job posting. Right? I just don't. That, well, that's the whole thing. The reason that this is necessary is because in New York, they do. <laughs> This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Dougals, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. How's your week? It's good, man. You know um, a phrase that I think is underappreciated? Rat killer. It sounds so strong and intimidating, right? It does, which is why the phrase rodent mitigation which is much fancier, <laughs> is what's used. Well, when I think of, you know, if I ask you to think of the best uh, rodent mitigation expert in your life, do you think they'd be like a highfalutin political scientist with multiple bachelor's degrees or something? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. If folks have not seen the job description for the director of rodent mitigation in New York City, uh, we'll we'll post this so you can take a look. I would recommend that you read through this. It's so in some I know you got you got some things the details here too. But there there are times where one could you read a job description and you go like that's me. Like this is speaking they wrote this for me. Yeah. Here's under about the role here. It says, "Do you I have to do this dramatically." Like this is cuz it's like a like a movie trailer. Do you have what it takes to do the impossible? Vehemence <laughs> for vermin? A background in urban planning, project management, or government? And most importantly, the drive, determination, and killer instinct needed to fight the real enemy. And in your head right now, you go, are we going overseas? Like, are we like are we, are we getting after? Are we it? going to war? Yeah, is this is this December 7th of 1941? Like that is that's like what comes to my mind, Pearl Harbor people. But no, New York City's relentless rat population which ironically that's, seems like they actually live in the building owned by the mayor but anyway that's a set that's a whole separate piece i gotta throw a few more the the city ride director of rodent mitigation is a high visibility high impact leadership role with one of the most important tasks in city government keeping the city's rats in check and on notice <laughs> now i want to be real clear on one thing uh someone will take this role and we are not laughing at you. This is oh, like this actually awesome. is, yeah, yeah. This, this no, is, yeah. You, you have this is an important job. You got to do the job. Like <laughs> more power to you. It's just this job description. Okay, a couple more things, then we can, we can get to the real stuff. So under like leadership responsibilities, it's like th this person must also perform the following functions. And I'm not going to read the whole sentences. I'm just going to give like the the yeah. uh, the tops of these bullets. Here are the bullets: develop strategy, project management, decisive leadership public engagement, research, write, and analyze. So, so far, if I just said those words and told you to guess what job it would be, this would be the last job you would guess until this last bullet, catch and kill. In what job do you develop strategy, manage projects, like lead decisively, engage the public, do research and analysis, and then murder? <laughs> so in catch and kill, it says, as with many government roles, you will be expected to lead, 
uh, from the front using hands-on techniques to exterminate rodents with authority and efficiency. Then the very next sentence is the statement of values. It says, rats will hate this job posting. I don't think rats are reading the job posting. I just don't. That's well, that's the whole thing. The reason that this is necessary is because in New York they do. <laughs> that, yeah, they're set up in the office next to you reading the newspaper. They might check out the local jobs. This is truly it's it's one of those copy and paste jobs with HR where like the city of New York has to say all these things, yeah. I assume, for their typical role, and none of it fits for the rodent mitigation. Uh yeah, leader. exactly. And the the qualifications are we don't we don't need to go through them, but they're equally like really is this the qualifications? I will have you do one thing for me. I will have you read the second to last bullet under qualifications. Swashbuckling attitude, crafty humor, and general aura of badassery. What? <laughs> <laughs> I actually I want that to be in a job description. I take like that. That is one where I'm like yes. Oh, so the thing goodness. is, I'm. I'm not in the market for a new job, but I'm intrigued by this process. I think it'd be fun to do some battle with the rats. Do you ever, uh, we've had a couple beehives around my house and that is a fun afternoon for me to battle those bees, man. There you go. I, I think I could do pretty well with this. I just think about the secret of Nim. Did you watch that no. way back in the day? Oh man, the secret of Nim. Go back. You gotta, you gotta watch that movie it's from the, I don't know, eighties, nineties secret of Nim people secret of Nim. Okay. Is it okay if I transition us? Yeah, hop on in. Here. Um, we could talk about this for days, people. So if you want a full episode on rodent mitigation, please let us know. <laughs> SkippyDougals at gmail.com. Okay. Buy and hold mindset. This is on AVC, which is the blog for Fred Wilson. He's he's a very well-known venture capitalist, been around the game for a minute and a half. Enjoy his thoughts. I'm raising this because what's interesting here to me is given that that he's from the venture capital world, I think it's cool to just like look at the parallels and like the thought processes of people that are in different parts of investing, because we're primarily in that public stock market investing game. He compares uh, real estate investing that he and his wife, known as Gotham Gal, have been doing recently with like just stuff he's kind of seeing in the, the public markets and a little bit of private markets. So I'm going to hit on a few points here. First, he says, it's hard to know when you've reached the bottom and can start buying again. But if you think about a 10 or 20 year hold, then it becomes easier. That's something that we've we've discussed in different ways before. And for him, the first the first way he thinks about this is going back to what I mentioned around real estate. He's saying when he and his wife look at real estate purchases, they think about trying to get something in the five to 10% a year for like the next decade or two right, is the kind of return they're looking at. And he says, effectively, that's like looking at a PE ratio of 10 to 20 times earnings and like the math, the math that he does. Is he, contra- uh, yeah. When he talks about that, is he saying that's effectively, I'll call it a dividend that you can bring off the property. So someone's renting it. And then you so that'd be one portion of your return. And then you'd have appreciation, expected appreciation over that time period. You add those two together and if you're between five or ten he's comfortable with it is that what he's yeah when when you you compare those to the price that he looks at is the acquisition cost of the property and like whatever maintenance or construction costs you have but yes so for the earnings part that's what you mentioned so it's something in 10 to 20 and he contrasts this to when he's usually doing like more early stage investing says they're usually looking at like a five to ten x return on what their early stage investments are if they're investing in you know series a series b 
or if it's a if that's like a 10x if it's a more mature company it might be more like a 5x right um but then he says but when it's a really mature that's like a mature startup if you're looking at like a really mature company like a and maybe not really really mature but really really mature in his world right um and you're looking at a publicly traded stock it might be like a a google maybe an airbnb an amazon an apple like they're uh, their number you can look at there. And he says for him, that's more of like the real estate comparison. Like that's what he looks for. He looks for like a longer term five to 10% a year return. And given what's happened in the markets this year, as he says, many of the top tech, the top tech companies have seen their stocks tumble between 30 to 80% this last year. Shopify is down 75%. Twilio is down 83%. Cloudflare is down 75%. And he's like, and I know these CEOs, I admire them. I know the company is pretty well. And very importantly, I'm not recommending any of these stocks. <laughs> He's just saying like they've come down a heck of a lot. And if you think about it like real estate, it really doesn't matter if the stock market is bottomed. He says, does that mean the stock market's bottomed? Absolutely not. It may have, it may not have. But if you're investing for a very long time horizon, you may not want to think about trying to time the bottom, which is very hard to do anyway. And just think if these in the investments you make now and hold for a long time makes sense. I really like that a lot. The thing that... um. That like I found, so I think that the comparisons were interesting just as like a thought exercise. And the thing I also found most interesting is from my thought uh, perspective is when I'm thinking about stocks like Twilio, for example, five to 10% is not in my, I'm not thinking about anything like that, right? I yeah. am thinking about long-term. The horizon I think is also interesting, but I thought it's fascinating because for this guy, when he goes out and like invests in early stage, he's looking for the 10X returns. Mm -hmm. When I'm investing in something like a Twilio, that's also what I'm <laughs> what I'm looking at. It's like very maybe maybe more like the five x, right? Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. not like a ten x. But I I think it's really interesting that for him, like a Twilio or a Cloudflare could potentially be like a real estate investment where you're looking for five to ten percent. I just thought that that was like really interesting because his um his risk tolerance is usually so high, right? And this and so this is like the safe bet. Potentially for let's He's break not that down investing. a little. That, so it. he he when he first starts talking about um, the cap rate he's comfortable acquiring Google at, yep. he's he's still using that real estate comparison. And he says like, you know, Google's business model is not as steady as owning a building in his mind, but it is a more mature, more steady company. That makes sense to me. Uh, the Twilio specific example here is really interesting to me because. Am I remember correctly? That's the Canadian company that's been around for like twenty years. But then, oh, yeah. yeah. Mm -mm. Oh no, that's uh, Shopify. Okay, You're talking good. about Shopify. That's Shopify. Okay, so I was think I was wondering if he's thinking about the maturity piece of that. But I agree, Ch Twilio. If all goes well, has explosive growth potential. So I'm more in your camp than his camp uh, with yep. that specific equity. And independent of that, I thought it was. I just I still think it's really interesting looking at people that are typically in the private markets and how they think about other markets. Uh, and I have a number of, of, of folks like in my sphere that I'm sure you probably do the same, that like their their day job they see is so risky that when it comes to playing around with other stuff, like they're, they are, they're like, I don't, I don't play with the rest of this money. Well, they might invest it, but it's in something that mm -hmm. they feel like is safer and looking for a, a solid, but like smaller rate of return. You know, where I'm often helping like founders and CEOs of their own company allocate cash, it's so funny to see how those people think about uh, business finances, even though they might be the 
majority owner of that business versus personal finances. I have some folks who are really aggressive personally, and then like the most conservative folks I've ever seen on the business side. And I personally think that's appropriate, but it's just funny to see how when people are wearing different hats, they think about aggressiveness and risk in entirely different ways. Absolutely. Cool. What you got in the bowl of fish? Well, this is kind of related, I think. So there's uh, a lot that came out this week about um, U.S. stock market performance versus international uh, stock performance. Yep, yep, yep. And so I want to throw some stats your way. First, Meb Favor came out with an article. This is from Avantis Investor, breaking down valuation of U.S. markets to um, non-U.S. markets, basically. We've talked about this on the show for at least a year, if not more. But where the U.S. market had come down, I thought maybe this had corrected a little bit more, but it, it certainly has not. The U.S. seems like one of the most expensive stock markets in the world, even today. And it's not really a surprise. It's just something I hadn't looked at in six months. So uh, let me give you a few valuation metrics here. First thing is if you look at the MSCI World Index, U.S. stocks currently make up 70% of that index. At its low in 1995, U.S. stocks only made up 35% of that index. And even in 2009, U.S. stocks made up 50% of that index. So U.S. stock performance has been good. That's a market cap weighted index when the rest of the world has been poor or lagged. And you're at the highest, you know, I believe everything's mean reversion, right? You're at the highest point in that. What's going to happen from here, whether the U.S. stock market stagnates and the rest of the world starts to outperform to bring that 70% back down to something more reasonable, like a 50%. I don't know, but it's very unlikely that the US stocks continue to like crank while the rest of the world is a laggard. You just can't get to these peaks of equilibrium like that without some correction eventually happening. I I think that that's a, it's a really good point. And there too, to part of, I think what you're saying there is there are multiple ways it could happen. If you just look at the simple math equation, like you could say uh, the rest of world performs like U.S. still goes up into the right. Rest of world performs better. And so goes way up into the down, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Both crash, but the U.S. crashes worse. Yeah. Or like there's like a variety of ways for it to happen. But I really and there's a there's a piece we're going to talk about around uh, inverted thinking that I think is uh, that's kind of tied to this. Uh, we'll get to that a little bit later. And I think that it's really related because of. Just thinking about if you play out a scenario, like what has to be true for that scenario to play out? And this is one of yep. those where if you play out uh, Kathy Woods, not to pick on her, I'm just saying her scenario. If she's saying that where we are is more similar to before the 1920s, right, which is what Kathy Wood is kind of positioning as the analogy to right now, then you have to say, so there's this massive second bull market that's about to take place over the next decade or whatever it might be. And if you play that out in that math equation, then you're like, okay, so what I have to believe is that the U S is hundred percent of the global stock market or, and you just, okay. Like that's actually a problem. Like if it that doesn't make true, sense. Yeah, yeah. Like it doesn't I mean, make sense. So, and and right? if that, yeah. In that crazy thought experiment, well, even if that means that the U S markets perform great and the rest of the world, like effectively goes to zero, eventually that catches up where, the U.S. doesn't have trading partners anymore, and the U.S. Start, starts to 
I mean, that's not a good thing. No one wants that. And it's not even a reasonable thing. So just on valuations, if we talk developed markets, the US um, on average price to book is 3.7, price to earnings 20 and dividend yield of 0.65. Developed markets that aren't the US, price to book 1.6, price to earnings 14, dividend yield 3.3, like way cheaper. You can break down in the United Kingdom, Japan, whatever you want. The the story is the valuation is almost half on a lot of those metrics. If you look at emerging markets, price to book of 1.4, PE of 10, and dividend yield of 0.7. But then if you look at like, I'll just give one example here. Say emerging Latin America, PE of six, dividend yield of nine price to book of 1.6. Like there are some hot spots out there. You know, normally we're talking about individual companies, but there are some hot spots geographically where it's like this is dirt cheap. Now again, we talk about this all the time. It's dirt cheap for a reason. I'm not telling you that that's a guaranteed way to make money and even though you'll probably make money in an environment like that long term, I bet it's really turbulent. Uh, it, I'm not saying it's a good investment, but I just think it's an important reset to go. Okay, the US is still one of the most expensive stock markets in the world and that can't last forever. So what does that mean for the next six months? I have no clue, but it's a sanity check I do. I like it. And can I use that as a transition? Please do. Okay. Um, I want to transition to a piece titled Recipe for Disaster that was put on the blog of KCP, a wealth management uh, organization. And the reason this is a transition for me is because this piece is talking about left brain, right brain, and how they work together. And what I love, so I'll start off with near the beginning of this, here's a quote that I think sets it up real nice and good, like, one of the iron laws of finance is that people with rocket science IQs will always find ways to develop complex investments that will eventually blow up in spectacular fashion. I'm not sure the truer words have ever been stated. And the examples, one of the examples they give here is around, I can't remember what, I didn't write, I didn't write it down, can't remember what it's called, but it was the math equation that went into saying that if you put together a bunch of mortgages, that they become near riskless. Gaussian Coppola. I've never heard of it before. Yeah. All I could think of was Francis Ford. And so, yeah, so it threw me off there. And so what this is saying and why it it ties to the left and right brain, quick, overly simplistic uh, anatomy lesson from a non- anatomy studier here the right brain is like the creative imaginative side of the brain the left brain is the analytic like rational the intellectual kind of side of the brain yep and so they call this recipe disaster left over right saying that people they look at the complex world really smart people look at this complex world they come up with some formula some brilliant formula that takes that complex world and puts it into math, and then people use that formula, right, as like the truth. With the Francis Ford Coppola, because I can't remember the name again, even though you just said it, equation being one example of that. Well, like the phrase that gets thrown around in here is complex adaptive systems, right? So you build this equation with your left brain that says when X, Y, Z happens, the result is this, and there's an easy way to make money. And what ha- that probably works, and it probably works for a good period of time. But then the entire 
complex adaptive system evolves to try and take find arbitrage opportunities with that new you know fact or way of life and eventually what happens around the edges there is other part smart people are exploiting the first smart person that made the crazy equation and then the whole system evolves into a way where that initial truth is no longer true anymore it's what you get when there's so many actors who are all motivated to go make money in this place that's not quite the wild wild west but there's no hard and fast rules here um as i just mentioned u.s stock markets can be 35 percent of the world market or 70 percent. <laughs> yes it, it, things change yeah exactly and they're saying it's not, it's not the, the fault of the tool right um, no. One of the things they say in here is like, you can use a hammer to hurt somebody, you can use a hammer to build something, right? It's not the the hammer is neutral. And the reason I, I think that this ties back to what you were saying before is because what you were putting out there, like when you're talking about Latin America, developed nations, the US, it's not per what you were saying. It's not like, this is some equation you're putting out there like, oh, if you're at a 9% dividend yield in Latin America, that means invest, right? Like th there's nothing that says that it's a, it's a way of thinking like a tool that can help with a mindset or like just your psychology potentially, or a frame of reference for you to investigate more, whatever it might be. And then you make your own decisions based on a whole like wealth of different knowledge. And that's what I think is powerful in here. A line uh, that it gets to toward the end here is the left's powerful tools should always be used in service of the right. And so what that's saying to translate that into the brain is the highly intellectual, like logical, rational side of the brain should be used in service of your creative, imaginative side of the brain. And I like that. You don't just take the left and say, cool, the equation said this. You say the equation said this. Now, let me start to look at scenarios. Let me start to think about what could potentially happen and like get creative and imaginative and then come back and like fuse the two. And I think that that's a powerful way of thinking. The hack here, if you're a pretty left brain person like me, and it's hard to get like the right brain and the left brain to always talk is to have friends and colleagues you respect who represent more of that right brain thinking or vice versa, depending on how this conversation flows and who's involved to, to do a sanity check, right? To say, this is how I think about the problem. What am I missing? What other? So like, it's best. Absolutely. If you can do this within your own head, but if you struggle to do that, talk to other smart people about it. And uh, it's a good hack for you, I think. Yeah, I think that's a I think it's a really good way of going about it. Because generally speaking, you can't do it in your own head. Like one cannot do this in their own head, generally speaking, even if you think that you can, it's still super healthy to have other people to bounce stuff off of. Yep. Yep. So I'd even not call that a hack. I would call that a skippy rule of law. Oh, speaking of this, <laughs> do you know what I got told this week? You know how you're saying that you want our premium subscribers to be called Dougalers? Well, your favorite company in the world has has branded Dougalers as the dogs of Google. What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. They have like stickers. I think they have like sweatshirts and I'm sure they have dog coats. So, okay. well, so we can't you, do that. you were calling our most favorite uh, subscribers. You were calling them dogs. Shame of on Google. Googles. Like shame on you. <laughs> yes. De definitive shame. Definitive shame on me. Me and Cersei. Speaking of which, when you, uh, if, if you listen to this episode early in the week, our promo is still going for Celebrate the 100th episode. You can go to 
uh, skippydoogles.supercast.com and get discounted premium subscriptions helps support the show good stuff there are we switching are we going to the fishbowl here doogles fishbowl it all right okay our boy jason swag did a breakdown of uh b reet which is a blackstone reet ticker b r e i t Reit was the hot stock this year. It's the Blackstone Real Estate Investment Trust. It's a private fund. It launched in early uh, 2017. Okay. So it had pretty awesome performance this year. And you, the average investor, probably even someone like me, who's a, hopefully a little more sophisticated, would look at this and go, oh, that's interesting. Like, they, they've figured something out. I, if I remember right, Douglas, correct me if I'm wrong, but their sweet spot is rental properties and industrial properties in the Southeast, right? I think that's right. So in addition to that, so the, the stock that I think it's actually structured as a ETF, if I remember correctly, was up 9.3% in 2022. Douglas and everyone's looking at the carnage in the streets. And they're going, oh my, real estate has figured this out. This is incredible. What this company did or what this fund did, and I don't know how they even got away with it, is they placed uh, a bet on rising interest rates in the billions of dollars. So the fund has $69 billion in net assets. They hold a lot of cash. But the large majority of that performance, here it is, they placed interest rate hedges with a notional value of $31 billion. And they happen to be timely saying that rates would rise. And that represents roughly eight percentage points of the fund's 9.3% returns. What I'm trying to get here, I don't need to go deep into the the weeds, is this fund, not only was it doing crazy things like doing interest rate hedges, it also is leveraged. So they're investing on margin. And I think the average investor would go research this fund and go, hey, it made 9% this year. Clearly, real estate something. It didn't make 9% because the real estate is performing well. And in a high interest rate environment, the real estate probably won't perform incredibly well in the next five years, let's just say. like it, it It might be steady, but I don't expect it to go to the moon. What happened here is a mirage of using leverage, taking interest rate, bets and getting lucky that causes performance. Now we've talked a, a bunch about investors rushing to the hot stock and then dumping when things goes cold. This happened with ARC. This happens with everything. This is a really interesting fund because they limit redemptions because they're making long-term bets on real estate. So you can take no more than 5% of your money out per year, if I remember correctly. Anyway, what's happened to a lot of people is they rushed to throw their money at this thing, not fully knowing what it was. And now they're trying to pull their money back out and having all sorts of issues. It's really just a warning to make sure you know what you're investing in, because uh, this is going to be a mess. Yeah. And that's it's 5% per quarter is what you can pull okay. out. And the to uh, clarify in case it wasn't, but I, it, I think you did a great job there. When you were saying 8%, it's 8% of 9.3%. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like it's 80%. 80% of the returns. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. That, it's really wild. It made, it made me think about a casino Royale. 
the James Bond movie, Casino Royale. I've only seen the newer, the new-ish version, which is like 15 years old or something like now. Yeah. Um, but you had the uh, the like warlord drug slash weapons are or whatever, who was taking clients' money and then going to play poker with it. And so if you if you take a like a similar result, it's like <laughs> the returns were not coming from the weapons. In this case, weapons equals real estate. The returns <laughs> was coming from I'm playing poker right but if you just looked at the prospectus it would be like oh people put in one billion dollars and those people got out three billion dollars whatever and that's that's it's an exact analogy you can't even (laughs) critique there's no holes in this analogy (laughs) you better go to your fishbowl before i start to (laughs) critique that (laughs) all right the last thing in my fishbowl as promised uh, last major thing might hit on something else as promised is about inverted thinking this is from James Clear's blog. James Clear wrote the book Atomic Habits, maybe other stuff, but that's the book I've read, which I recommend. Short, helpful book, in my opinion, anyway. So Inversion, the Crucial Thinking Skill Nobody Ever Taught You is the title of this blog post. And what it's about is thinking about the exact opposite of what you believe slash what could go wrong and then plan out that scenario and using that to then come up with your strategy. So the questions raised in here are, what would things look like if everything went wrong tomorrow? And what does this tell us about how we should prepare today? There's several examples in here of um, either groups or people, right, that did this. And I think it's real, real powerful. So talks about a German mathematician named Carl Jacobi, who believed that one of the best ways to clarify thinking was to restate math problems in an inverse form. So you'd write down the opposite of the problem and then try and solve it and found that coming up with a solution based on that was helpful. Talked about Nirvana creating a music genre by doing like exactly the opposite of what uh, of what was popular that day. Uh, Mr. Charlie Munger, who we talk about a bunch of Berkshire Hathaway fame. And Charlie says, what do you want to avoid? Such an easy answer sloth and unreliability if you're unreliable it doesn't matter what your virtues are you're going to crater immediately doing what you have faithfully engaged to do should be an automatic part of your conduct you want to avoid sloth and unreliability Uh, and i really like this point it says in most jobs you can enjoy some degree of success simply by being proactive and reliable even if you are not particularly smart fast or talented in any given area so the point of all this is saying that if you if you're working on whatever it might be, whatever goal you kind of set, right? And you fast forward a few months or to the end of the project and you say, if this thing doesn't work and then start to play out all the things that happen, it can be a really helpful way for you to figure out like what went wrong, what mistakes happened, and then start to just, um, instead of trying to push for ultimate success, just try and prevent those things from going wrong. And that's like, I'm making up this number. This wasn't in the piece, like 98% of the game can be just doing that over and over again and not hitting the death line and not hitting that failure line. All right. I shall pause. No, this is good stuff. I, uh, I wrote a blog post about this a while back. So I was pulling it up. So the funniest thing that Munger ever says is tell me the place I'm going to die. So I won't go there. I mean, yep. Right. Yep. But if we attempt to leverage inversion thinking, I won't spend too much time on this, but to investing, like, what would you do to be a bad investor? Okay. I think you'd uh, pay high fees and commissions. You'd buy expensive or speculative assets 
aka crypto and other, you'd trade frequently, you'd use leverage, and you'd make emotional decisions. Am I missing anything, Dougals? You do those five things, I can guarantee you're a poor investor. In in concentrated big bet fashion. Yeah. You want to do that? It's you want to take small bets with any of those five things? Well, I'm, I'm saying, read them again. No, no, no. I'm <laughs> saying, you know how uh you were talking about who was it? Was it a uh, Druckenmiller, maybe? That was saying yeah. like crypto should never be any more than two percent of your portfolio. I think there's a difference between something that you make like as like a half a percent of your portfolio and like a leverage oh, way okay. versus that's like, fair. That, that that's what I'm saying. But I, I don't want to I don't want to take away from the big point. Yes, I'll just yeah, all right. So if you do those things, you're gonna lose your shirt. So do the opposite of those things. What would that be? Don't pay high fees and commissions. Don't buy speculative assets. Don't trade frequently. Don't use leverage. And don't make emotional decisions. You and I both uh, try and limit our emotional decisions with quantitative models that help us determine what is in our sweet spot to potentially buy. Like, it's that simple. I won't talk any more about that piece, but... It's a really powerful tool. I love that you're bringing it up because you can apply it to almost anything like, I don't know, how to make my son a better soccer player. And I think there's value there. So um, great stuff. Yeah, it's super valuable. I think that, like, yeah, it, it translates into so many different things like athletics, like you were saying, uh, with or just general health. Of like, what what are the things that I know would contribute to poor health, Right like not exercising, eating poorly, like there's all this stuff to do. And you just go, it doesn't mean you have to do the full opposite, but at least limit, right? Um, some of those things that, you know, I think, I think it's like, it's, it's such a powerful way to do things. Um, and stepping back to investing for a second, let's think back to last year. We've talked a lot about Tal Education Group, right? Last year yeah. in my portfolio, I was down like 90 something percent over the course of the year. Not great for the portfolio. Um, there was a point, though, if you go to the early part of the year, I'm I'm just doing this off the cuff, so my numbers are going to be directional, but not correct. Early part of the year, Tall was like blazing. I remember there was one day it was up like 15% or something like that, like early 2021. Mm -hmm. And during those moments, when you see assets like that in your portfolio, it's easy to go, man, I should have put more in. Like, what if that were like half my portfolio, right? But if you start playing out, what could go wrong? And I'm not saying any of this would happen, but hypothetically. The government of China decides that education like companies can no longer make a profit, hypothetically, right? U.S.-China relations start to take a downward spiral, hypothetically. Uh, there's like audit risk potential in China, hypothetically, right? You take all that stuff and the next thing you know, that stock is down 90-something percent. Now imagine what had happened if that was half your portfolio or if that was a big concentrated bet. Right. And that that's what's so important is that it's like a, it's avoiding that place where you have nothing. Right. And people get into this with we talk about option trading and leverage, which you were just talking about. Again, people get into this stuff because you have potentially people that are that are rolling the dice that have these days. Like I made 40 grand in a day. I made one hundred thousand dollars in a day. I made ten thousand dollars in a day, whatever it is. Or it's worth zero. And you yeah, have and to then avoid you lost it all. Exactly. Yeah. You have to avoid the zero. It's or a coin flip game. game. I mean, like, yeah, it's that stuff's not investing. I'm totally with you. Can I talk my book for a second? Always. My current book is uh, making decent returns on cash. <laughs> I haven't actually <laughs> written the book yet, but I will. <laughs> and the Wall Street Journal broke down and said that 
savers in theory have lost $42 billion of interest in the third quarter. If they had simply moved some cash from the big five banks, uh, which is paying an average of 0.04% to high yield savings accounts and the high yield savings accounts they're talking about here. Some of these uh, numbers are dated because interest rates continue to climb, but would pay an average of 2.14%. So you move the money that's sitting around from 0.04% to two plus percent. That's $42 billion. The amazing thing is you can easily get three and a half to four and a half percent. They interviewed someone in here that is with Bank of America sitting on 100K in cash, which isn't that much in the grand scheme of things. And she was just like, well, listen, my platinum honors tier status at Bank of America gets me a, a two basis points bump. And I'm really happy. I don't, I don't need the extra money. I, I know she could only make $4,000 in interest a year, Dougals, but if her employer came to her and said, hey, do you want a $4,000 bonus or do you want your a lot. pay to go up 4000 bucks? She'd say yes, right? Like, why are people so hesitant here to smartly manage their money and money buys you time, which buys you freedom. And, and that's, that's a win-win. I'm not asking these people to take on any more risk. I can get them this return at uh, FDIC insured rate. Like I, I just don't get this one, but here's my favorite quote. Let's see if I can find it. This guy, Gary Zimmerman, the CEO of Max My Interest, and their product's pretty good if you want to uh, look into it, says people don't think critically about financial decisions. He was asked to explain this phenomenon and that was his answer. And he's totally right. It's yeah. just like, oh, I have money in the bank. I have a bank account. Well, I don't need, I, I'm not going to think critically about this. Yeah. And people also, it's that, it's like, this is maybe a sub bullet in there, is I think people always have these big percents in their mind that like, no, I'm trying to make 10, 12, 15% a year. So you throw 2%, 3%. What's the difference between three or four percent and 0.4 percent well 10x is the answer <laughs> um but i think when people just look at the percentages we talked about this a few episodes back when people just look at the percentages they're like that's not big like come come talk to me when you're talking about 15 percent. it's like no these things add up it's called compounding bro well and a lot of people have been like oh well you know yeah the stock ranking makes seven eight percent a year i get excited about seven and eight percent yeah and you have to deal with the pain of the volatility of those swings, you can make 4% with no risk, like effectively no risk. It's US government backed, but whatever. I mean, I think some folks have forgotten how nice that feels <laughs> to have yeah. a guaranteed 4% return. So that's my mini rant. You get one an episode. Just be smart with your cash, people. All right. I, I have one playful thing because this brings me joy. I use uh, Yahoo Finance to as like one place where I get news and stuff. It's where I check my uh, I check stock prices and whatnot. It's easy. I enjoy it. One of the things I really like is when you're scrolling through the news section of Yahoo News, it'll have the the title of a of a piece, and then whatever stocks like it kind of talks about in that piece, it'll also show you the movement for the day of what's occurred with that stock. And sometimes that juxtaposition, this is so nerdy. Unlike anything else I do, this is so nerdy. The juxtaposition just like makes me LOL, as the cool kids say. So I was scrolling this week one day, and there's this headline that says, Carvana could run out of cash within months. I repeat, 
Carvana could run out of cash within months. And so then my eye sockets scroll up, look up to see like what's Carvana doing that day when this article comes out, plus 29.5%. And I love it because this is the stock market. <laughs> like this is the randomness of the stock market is news comes out that says this thing, this asset that you could buy likely has no future <laughs> as an operating business. And people said that that should now be worth 30% more. I mean, this is why you don't take short-term bets. Like it's, you could have, you could ha have your hypothesis come 100% true in the case of Carvana, that it's going out of business. And you could say, and because of that, I'm making an options trade for what's going to happen over the next two weeks. You lose your shirt. Like it's, yeah, yeah. incredibly unpredictable in the short term. Coin flip. Oh, you got anything else? I got one last thing. Um, this is from Research Affiliates. We've talked about the Drunken Miller uh, inflation predictions that he had his team of analysts research. This is similar. According to Research Affiliates, once inflation is above 8%, reverting to 3% usually takes 6 to 20 years with a median of 10 years. All right. So, we feel like we've been through the ringer in the past 12 months with what's happened with inflation. And now everyone's excited thinking that we're on the, the path to recovery. I don't think that means we're back to normal. It, it, this says historically, you don't get back to normal in 12 or 18 months, even from now. Um, say, say we've been in this battle for 12 months already. I don't remember exactly when inflation printed the 10 plus percent and everyone freaked out, but like, this is a long haul back again. I'm just setting the stage for people's expectations to be fair about this. It's going to be a while and there will be some other swings up and down before we're so-called back to normal with this, this fact really makes the inflation fight that happened in the eighties, seventies and eighties look like a typical inflation fight uh, based on what happened in world markets, not just the US market. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I think so too. And again, similar to what we talked about earlier, it's just like a, a frame for you to have in your mind, not to do anything with, but it's setting, setting your own expectations because that's real. And it's even when uh, we've mentioned, articles have mentioned, right, that in the near term, rates might get to like the 6% you know, five, 6% or whatever range. We don't know where it's going to, it might even have to go higher, right? But yeah. like at least there in the near term. And I think what's important about what you're saying is if history shows to continue, as you were discussing, that doesn't mean in rates hit 6% and then cuts start happening. And like in 18 months, rates are, are back down. The more likely scenario based on what we've seen in the past is that like rates are at the six, seven, whatever, wherever they end up for a little while. Like it has to be held there to use your phrase from earlier about complex adaptive systems is like this is in order for rates to translate into like inflation really coming down sustainably is a lot of behavior change and systems change. Like that yep. stuff takes a while. People have like ramped up um, production in some cases. I have to ramp that back down. Right. People have prepared for like there's, there's all this stuff that's occurred. Um, restaurants have had to print new menus, man, because some of them using the QR code, some of them don't. They got to take those menus down to change the prices. They're just like a lot of behavioral change. Rents have gone up. So those prices actually have to, they have to stay higher for a little while. 
so people yeah. can pay their rent. Like there's a lot of stuff that has to happen. People have to stop using their credit cards. Lots of stuff has to occur. So uh, anyway, prepare yourself. It's another it's reason point. to manage your cash intelligently because yes. the, the rates are staying. It's not like rates are going to go to zero tomorrow. That's the one near certainty is um, unless there's another pandemic or something, uh, rates are going to be elevated. And I mean, 4% plus for years, man. And so don't let the bank rob you. That that lady that I talked about that's sitting on 100K in cash, I mean, does she realize her bank account costs her $4,000 a year plus fees? Like, does she realize that? Welcome Wait, to she's Platinum. Not, she's not paying $4,000 for her Netflix or for any of her other basic life services for her cable bill. Like, people just miss it. Completely yeah, and, and on that point, I like that reframe of thinking. If Bank of America came to her and said, we have this amazing tier called Platinum Honors, and all you have to do is give us $4,000 a year, and it's yours. Oh, my goodness. We'll answer your phone call with someone in the U.S. rather than someone international if you do that. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> we might be allowed to go to the branch. See, I always get fired up about yeah, banks I know, because I know, of my previous history there. But I, I went to a national bank. It was not Bank of America recently to with a five minute problem. And they wanted me to make an appointment, man. That like they wanted me to sit in line, wake uh, No, this, no, no. People are paying four thousand dollars a year for that level of service. <laughs> exactly. To to wrap, I want to acknowledge some listener mail. Can I do that? Oh yeah, I didn't know okay. we had listener mail. Come on, yeah. So thank you, Liz in Canada, uh, for sending us listener mail. Skippydougals at gmail.com. Oh Liz, uh, I hope you got those stickers. Confirm that for us, please do. Please do. International mails can be tricky. So, and uh, Liz said, "What are books, podcasts that you would recommend that y'all listen to?" Uh, and so we're going to put something out on the uh, the Substack, skippydougals.substack.com. Go and check that out uh, in order to to give you some of the the recs. And this is always recommendations in this uh, this area is always a little tricky. So one thing we're thinking about is maybe put in different categories. Like if you're just starting to think about investing um, and things outside of investing, as we've always talked about, because it's about flexing the brain, pattern matching, putting different things from different disciplines together. So we're trying to give some recommendations that are maybe outside the normal, as well as uh, some that are within finance and investing. Thank you, Liz. Yep. All right, wrap it for us, Douglas. Please go rate and review the podcast. Give us those stars. Write that review. Helps people to find us. Thank you for all those that have in the past. Really appreciate you. Listener mail, skippydougals at gmails.com. Uh, and at skippydougals is the Twitter. Thank you all, everybody. Appreciate you. Peace. <laughs>